Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Roger Martin Fagg, who is a behavioural economist, and we discuss how the economy really works, especially in uncertain times. Roger is the author of Making Sense of the Economy. He advises businesses and business schools and helps them to bridge the gap between economic theory and practice. So welcome, Roger. Thank you. Now, I know we met, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, probably 10 years ago or so, and uh, I listened to you give a, give a talk to a group of chief executives. And I don't think I really understood the economy until I listened to you. But what you said seemed to make sense to me. So I'm hoping you'll help some of my listeners to take, make sense of the economy, which uh, I, I think seems a bit puzzling at the moment. So tell us, first of all, what is, what is a behavioural economist? A behavioural economist is someone who actually denies mainstream economic thinking because it assumes that you and I and other human beings most of the time will behave rationally in the allocation of resources. Yes. And uh, in my life, I've never yet met a rational person. Everybody I know takes instinctive, gut instinct decisions and then rationalizes them after the event yes and because yeah because (laughs) of this mainstream economics is always precisely wrong because it doesn't take into account the deviousness the inconsistencies of human beings and when you talk about that, you know, this deviousness and, and the unpredictability, are you at, talking at the individual level, the organisational level, the national governmental level, or all of those three? All, all three. All three. Yeah, because they're all humans. We're all irrational, completely, completely bonkers, basically. <laughs> well, I, I think there are those, for example, in the Treasury, there are a lot of highly trained economists who are probably close to the rational model. Mm. But to give you a very simple example, uh, they have been discussing, oh, to boost consumer spending, we'll cut VAT. And indeed, they've just done that for the hospitality sector. Yes. Well... You see, if they really wanted to boost spending, they would say we will be raising VAT to 30% on the 1st of January next year. And then there would be a surge in spending. There would, wouldn't there? There would. So where does it go wrong, Roger? And why do more people not think like you think about the economy? Do people not study human behaviour or or they just look at spreadsheets or or where's the disconnect there? Well, I think that's a very good point. And I do believe uh, a lot of people forget that every number has been produced by a human action. And so I think it's, you know, when you are surrounded by data, it's often easy to forget what lies behind that data. Yes. And uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, the whole thing about data is that, you know, two is two. Mm-hmm. But someone's judgment on something can vary between whoever you ask. Mm. And I think uh, people go for this rational approach because it's logical, it can be modelled, 
and uh, it's actually relatively straightforward. Whereas you know in the work you do, the one thing that isn't straightforward <laughs> is the way people think, act and presume. I know, I was just thinking that as you were explaining, Roger, that in, in my work, you know, I'm often dealing with lawyers who say it's like this because it's logical or because the, this is what the law says or this is what the paper said or this is what the facts say. And of course, that isn't the whole story. It's not the big picture. The big picture is how are people interacting with all that? What really matters to people? How will they behave after the event? So all of those things matter. But we can't, as you say, we can't measure them or model them. So we can't say for certain what the outcome will be. Correct. And exactly so. Yes. But behavioural economics has become quite popular in the last 10 years. Yes. Chiefly because mainstream economists completely failed to predict the great crash of 2008. Yes. And uh, someone called Daniel Kahneman, who, you know that book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. All the basis for behavioural yes. economics is there. Is it? Yep. He's the, he got the Nobel Prize for it. It's the first time a Nobel economics prize has gone to a basically a psychologist. Now I've got somewhere in my office, I can't think where it is now, a book written. It's about human behaviour in government and why governments don't think about uh, human the human outcome of their decisions more. And I think we're seeing an awful lot of this at the moment in the yeah. middle of this pandemic crisis you know there's an awful lot of panic it seems to me going on and not being able to predict really what people are going to do if you lock them down or let them out and all sorts of things that are having severe consequences for us as individuals and us economically that you must worry about i guess well i do and i particularly worry about the role of the media because in, econo in behavioral economics, we say there are two fundamentals. Everyone is anchored. They have a judgment, a fact, a point of view in their head. And they've got that from someone in the pub or the way they were brought up or indeed from the government. And then when all of us, as we are, are anchored, we then, when we see data that denies our view, we challenge the data. It's called confirmation bias. We only seek stuff that supports our point of view. Yes, I know. Yeah. I also work on something called the injection theory, where we assume that we can tell other people what to think, feel and do, and they'll automatically do it because our argument was so strong. And that doesn't work either. It, it, it really doesn't. So I'm wondering then, Roger, you know where, so we've had a mini budget yesterday. So we're talking on the, where are we, the sort of 9th of, of July. We had a mini budget yesterday and everybody's wondering what can we do? What should we do as individuals? What should we do as businesses? What's, where's our responsibility in all of this? Well, that's such a good question. And I think our responsibility as individuals is literally to spend the money that's been building up in our accounts for the last three months because we haven't been spending. No, no, I haven't filled my car up since March. <laughs> <clears throat> exactly. We've saved a lot of money uh, because we haven't been traveling. Yes. But it's time to spend. Yes. That, I think that's the first point. 
and and as soon as that spending happens and it should um then business should be hanging on to the people they will surely need to produce the goods the services that the spend warrants and uh, you know, this is what the chancellor is desperately trying to do it's trying to say look hang on hang on the spend will come back mm -hmm. and uh, because the money's there this is a very unusual recession most recessions happen because the money isn't there yes and this recession is happening because of this wretched virus. It's not yes. people don't have the money, it's they cannot spend it. Yes, or they're not willing to go out and spend it. Well, exactly, exactly yeah. so. Yes. And I, I do think the, the government could do more on looking at the probability <coughs> of someone being seriously ill from COVID by health and age. Because as you know, if you're under 40, the data, here we go, the data says um, the chances of you dying from a car accident are a lot greater than the chances of you dying from COVID. There's a lot of questions around this, aren't there, Roger? And, you know, people have said that to me, you know, we don't, we're not stopped from, I know we have to wear seatbelts and all of that, you know, be safe drivers, but people don't say we mustn't go out on the roads anymore because there are so many road deaths. And so you know there is a question as to whether we've overreacted and therefore the impact on the economy is going to be as bad or worse than it might have been and have worse impact on us as humans and businesses and it's a difficult balance to get right isn't it i think it is a difficult and i i really do believe that the media has such a big role to play in this the last three months uh, the bbc has been dripping with misery <laughs> and there haven't been any examples of where a small business has radically reformed itself it's switched from retail or you know high street retail to online in 10 days they're all around the country there are superb examples of adaptability and yet the bbc chooses to show us people who are very upset because a 95 year old parent has died of covid i mean you know i think i i understand why it's happening but it'd be much better if it was broader based and we had some good news stories which are out there and actually to give us all some sort of positivity and some hope really that there are there's a future out there which is what you're saying i think that there there is it's it's there and we don't have to well, we probably do have to go into this recession, but we probably could bounce out of it much quicker if we took a different approach. Well, I, I think, they, again, Jane, I was telling someone this this morning. If you look at the sum total of the government's interventions over the last four months, it's the, the equivalence of cutting income tax and national insurance contributions to zero. That, that that's the net injection of money in our system it, it's massive absolutely massive huge, huge so what's been coming out of my series of of chatting to different people roger and everybody's from a different sort of background um and you're the only person i've spoken to from an economic background but the interesting thing is 
that it's up to us. It's, you know, we keep looking externally for leaders, for leaders of big corporations, particularly for political leaders to guide us. And we don't seem to find that leadership. So in the end, we have to go back to ourselves and what say, what can we as individuals do to lead us forward in a time that is of massive uncertainty and you know, and we, we don't know unpredictability, we just don't know what the future looks like. But, but do you think we as individuals and, and as businesses, small or large, can take the lead and, and, and guide the way out of where we are now in some way? Well, I think, that, again, that's a very good question. I think what, what individuals can do is be totally responsible for their welfare. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we know that one of the reasons the uh, UK has such a high death rate is we've got, we've, people have allowed themselves to become particularly ill. Mm -hmm. For example, type 2 diabetes is totally preventable yes. and curable with diet. Yes. And yet we have, what, 3 million, 4 million, I don't know the number. I think that there are so many of us who think someone else should be looking after our welfare. Mm. It's the state uh, of mind then, Roger, isn't it, really? It and is. It's the state of mind, whether we're an individual, whether we're a business. And actually, if we think somebody else is going to bail us out or help us, then it doesn't encourage us to take this uh, entrepreneurial attitude to either our health or our welfare or our business welfare. I think that's right, and I, I, I think we've seen a bit of that in the argument of should schools be reopened? Mm -hmm. And the huge resistance that there is, particularly on behalf, well, if I've picked this up correctly, from the, the teaching staff who say, I'm not going back into school until it's safe. Well, I, I find that slightly perplexing because uh, we know that uh, it is possible to pass this um, virus from children to adults, but there's risk everywhere. As you said earlier, you know, if we want to be totally risk-free, we wouldn't leave our front door. No, and I certainly wouldn't go out on my mountain bike. <laughs> well, absolutely you would. Not round here you wouldn't. Um, so, Going back to your point about that, that's individuals. For, for businesses, I do think there is a huge role for the leader of the business to give hope and vision and encouragement. And as far as possible to indicate to people their, their honest assessment of what it's likely to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, I do think there is a tendency for owners of business to uh, let, avoid being absolutely honest with their employees. And my view on human beings, if they believe they're being told the truth as far as we know it, then they behave in a very different way than if they believe they're being spun a bit of a fib. Yes. So that's interesting because it comes back to behaviour and it comes back to leadership um, and and a whole issue about employment, which I'm seeing unravel at the moment is 
people's uncertainty about their jobs and you know what does furloughing mean and does that mean consequent unemployment and you're saying you know if if actually if we took responsibility for the economy recovering rather than just going down the hell to scatter um we wouldn't have to lay off all these people well that's exactly the point and again the word mass unemployment has being bandied about and so far, the increase in those claiming uh, unemployment benefit has been one and a half million. That's out of an employment level of 33 million. Mm. That, you know, as a percentage, you're looking at uh, an increase of about 4%, 5%. That is not mass unemployment. So, that is a rise in unemployment, but it's not mass. Why don't they have you on the news every day, Roger? It would <laughs> make so much sense. Well, many, many years ago, I used to go on to Radio Berkshire. This was in the early 90s, and it was in the recession. And it was all doom and gloom. And then we, John Major was prime minister. We, we left the exchange rate mechanism. And so they said, you must get online and tell us what this means. And I did. I said, well, this is the best thing. that This is brilliant news. Uh, West Berkshire, East Berkshire is going to recover very quickly. We can immediately, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yes. I was never asked again. Oh, really? There yeah. You there you go. <laughs> so um, just to wrap up then, Roger, what, what, what's the final message? What would your message to people be at this time from you as an economist to individuals, to small business, to anybody really who's listening, who's got an interest in having a more positive view of how we individually take responsibility for taking us forward? Uh, my, my message is the government could not be doing more. Mm -hmm. I, you cannot criticize, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the, the chancellor basically. Yes. They're, they're, they're doing everything that they can. Um, the way they're doing it, people don't understand. This 300 billion of new spending is not coming from taxation. Mm. It's coming from the government's own piggy bank called the Bank of England. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, the government never has to pay this down if it chooses not to. Right. So most people don't understand that. They don't understand that. Mm -hmm. It's called new monetary theory. And uh, it, it, from an economic perspective, there is no excuse not to think positively. Great. I like that message. Let's end on that one. There's no excuse not to think positively. Yeah. Roger, Roger Martin, thank you. I, I feel cheered up, more optimistic listening to you, as I always do. And uh, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like access to my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and to download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegarden.co.uk forward slash video 
and the link is also in the show notes. Thank you again and see you next time.